Amen. While you're still standing, if you can find in your Bibles John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. We will look at the context surrounding this during the sermon itself, as Lazarus is raised from the grave, but let's hear Jesus' words here, verses 25 and 26. I hear the word of the Lord. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And God, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would bless the reading and now preaching of your holy word, that in it we would see Jesus, our risen Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Even as we celebrate Resurrection Sunday... And even as this morning when I stepped outside, I don't know about you, but it it smelled like spring uh, for the first time. Uh, There was a a definitive difference this morning. And yet we know that we stand, we live in a time where we are surrounded, it seems, not by life, but by death, by suffering, by tragedy, uh, both on a global scale, a national scale. Uh, And then getting to know each other in the church and our families on a personal scale. And the question is, where do people turn for hope? Where do people turn for comfort? Where do people turn to find life when there's so much death? People have given different answers throughout history. And certainly in the 20th and 21st century, a man by the name of James Bedford uh, gave one answer. Uh, James Bedford, uh, he uh, became ill with cancer, and he also became, uh, after dying, the first human being to be cryogenically frozen. His hope was that one day um, science would get to the point where uh, his body could be revived, uh, that he would come back from the dead. He set aside $100,000 Uh, to the uh, cryogenic research and his will. Uh, But very quickly, his family, especially his mother and son, had to spend much more money to honor his will. Uh, He was moved from location to location. Uh, There was a period of time where he was at his son's house and his son was pouring the liquid nitrogen on his father's body to try to honor his will. In May 1991, his body's condition was evaluated when it was moved to a new storage unit And the examiners concluded, quote, it seems likely that his external temperature has remained at relatively low sub-zero temperatures throughout the storage interval. That sounds like the kind of hope you could hold on to, right? (laughs) It sounds likely. (laughs) With the prospect of reviving a frozen body so improbable that there are many, even within the scientific community, who believe that selling even the hope of it is unethical, Even if a medical breakthrough is made, it's highly unlikely that Bedford or any others, some 300 or more bodies now that we think are being, uh, will be able to be revived. And and I would add, even if they could be revived, (laughs) 
uh, what condition would they find themselves in when they were? We instinctively know that this isn't the kind of hope that you could hold on to. Uh, This isn't the kind of hope and comfort that is truly a hope and comfort for us in the midst of life, in the midst of death. And I want to tell you this morning that you can only find that kind of hope in Jesus Christ. Because he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me, even though he die, yet shall he live. In fact, he will never die. Do you believe this? That's Jesus' question to Martha here, as we'll see. And that's my question for you. And the title of the sermon, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And, and Christian, hear me, because this isn't just a question for those of you who are perhaps wrestling with, I, I don't know, do I believe in Jesus? Is he my Savior? This is a question for you as Christians. Do you believe this? In your core, have you found life? Can you find life and comfort in him alone, even now? Let's look at three aspects of this, of what we are to believe about Jesus, that Jesus Christ is life for all who believe. Number one, Jesus is life for those who grieve. Jesus is life for those who grieve. If, if, if you go back and look at the context of our passage, uh, Jesus here is Uh, speaking in the midst of uh, what will be not even a funeral, after the funeral, after the burial. Uh, This is Lazarus of Bethany, uh, a location close to Jerusalem. Uh, He has a sister named Mary and a sister named Martha. Uh, We've seen them in the Gospel of Luke. And um, uh, we see in the text uh, that Jesus, um, verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. These are uh, disciples whom Jesus loves very much, very dearly. Uh, Mary, uh, we've seen in the Gospel of Luke, is the one who sits at Jesus' feet as a disciple, uh, wanting to uh, soak up everything that Jesus would uh, teach her. And so what happens is uh, Jesus and the disciples come to know about Lazarus being ill. And the disciples are sort of looking to Jesus, expecting him to get up right away. Let's go. Let's go to Bethany. Uh, But what do we see? Uh, In verse 3, it says, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And then, as we just saw, it says that he loved Martha, Lazarus, Mary. Verse 6, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place of where he was. And the disciples are puzzled by this. Perhaps we are too. Uh, he loves them. He hears that Lazarus is ill and he waits to go. In the midst of our own grieving, we often have questions like this Why does it seem like God is delaying? Why does it seem like he's not here with me? And so the disciples puzzle over this. Um, but eventually, uh, Jesus does say, let's, let's go, let's, let's turn to uh, Bethany. Um, they uh, get there, and if you look in verse 17, let me read from there. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, 
my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. What do we see? Uh, Jesus approaches and it says that uh, Mary is in the house. Uh, I've come to know that a funeral practice at this time would be uh, that uh, the family would be in the house and, and people would come in and take turns just coming in, sitting with the family, lamenting, weeping, uh, often wailing. There would be loud uh, wails coming from the house as they sat with the grieving family member. Uh, there's a sense in which, uh, you know, in our day and age, we have what we call celebrations of life. And there's so many good things about that when someone dies, especially a believer, that we would celebrate what God has done in their life. This is fitting and good. We would celebrate that they are with the Lord now in his presence. Uh, Amen. And yet sometimes I think we've lost uh, something that a gift that God gives us is lament. Uh, in the midst of grieving, for someone at a funeral to stand up and say, this person should not have died. It's not the way it was meant to be. And one day, death will be gone forever. And you hear Martha's words, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And later in verse 32, Mary says the same thing, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This is the the true, raw words of a grieving heart. Have you ever said something like that? Prayed something like that? Perhaps you felt something like that. Perhaps you didn't know that you were allowed to pray like that. And yet hear the faith that is encapsulated in those raw words, in those very real questions of Jesus. Grief is one of those uh, strange things that does strange things to our mind. One author puts it, This way in describing grief. A grief is a young widow trying to raise her three children alone. Grief is the man so filled with shock and uncertainty and confusion that he strikes out at the nearest person. Grief is a mother walking daily to a nearby cemetery to stand quietly and alone a few minutes before going about the tasks of the day. She knows that part of her is in the cemetery, just as part of her is in her daily work. Grief is silent, knife-like terror and sadness that comes a hundred times a day when you start to speak to someone who's no longer there. Grief is emptiness that comes when you eat alone after eating with another for many years. Grief is teaching yourself to go to bed without saying goodnight to the one who has died. Grief is the helpless wishing that things were different when you know that they are not and never will be again. Grief is a whole cluster of adjustments, apprehensions, and uncertainties that strike life and its forward progress and make it difficult to redirect the energies of life. Do you see the good news that Jesus knows that? Jesus knows what grief feels like. Even as he approaches Martha, he's not taken aback by her words, Lord, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And when Jesus then goes to the graveside, or to the tomb, uh, uh, Lazarus has been dead for four days. The Jews believed uh, you know, up to three days there was maybe some hope that maybe they were wrong and the body might come back to life, but the fourth day, no. He's been in there for four days. And, and, and look at how Jesus 
reacts. Look at verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. And so the Jews said, see how he loved him. Jesus offers life to those who grieve. Uh, Jesus himself, the author of life, the resurrection and the life, who knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, nevertheless was overcome and wept, was indignant. Lazarus should not have died. And he wept along with Martha and Mary, which means he could walk with you in the midst of your grief, in the midst of your suffering. Do you believe this? Number two, Jesus gives life for those who die. For those who die, Martha expresses a faith here. She doesn't know exactly what's going to happen. I don't think she expects that Lazarus will rise from the dead physically now. She points ahead. If we said, Martha, what do you believe? What's Martha's confession of faith? Verse 24, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day day. She believes the right thing. And this is the hope that we have. This is the hope of Resurrection Sunday. And, and this is really the deepest hope, right? Because we see that Lazarus does raise again from the dead. Uh, amazingly, I encourage you to read the story as, as Jesus goes and, and calls out to Lazarus. Picture everyone just puzzled or laughing or wondering, what is Jesus doing? He's been in there for four days. He smells bad, someone says. <laughs> I mean, they they know the grim reality of death, and Jesus just says, Lazarus, come out. It's an incredible story, and it prefigures what would happen on on that resurrection Sunday. But even then, Lazarus, one day after this, died again. So what was Lazarus' deeper hope but Martha's confession? I will rise again at the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus affirms this. Verse 25 and 26, our main text here, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Jesus uses this term, they will never die. Never We've seen this before, but in the original language, this is the the most forceful way that he can say this. Jesus is not saying that by all accounts, it's likely that the body may be revived. They will never die. The same kind of language is used in John 6. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Or later in John 6, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That's the kind of never that Jesus is talking about. When Lazarus rose again physically, but he died again some years later, now he will never experience death again. The second death will never be something that he knows and never something that you know if you belong to Jesus Christ. 
But that's only true for you, friend, if you believe what Martha believes in verse 27. Martha, what do you believe? She says in verse 27, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. There were many things that Martha and other disciples were still puzzled about that didn't know fully, didn't understand that he had to die, what it meant that he would rise again. But like Peter and like other disciples, now Martha, she gives a good confession. You are the Christ, the Son of God. I know that. I know that. And that's like a steadfast anchor for my soul. This is almost word for word what John in chapter 20 tells us is is his hope, his desire. If you ask John, why did you write this whole book of John? He would say, I wrote this so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Friend, do you believe that he is the Son of God, the Christ, and have you found life? In his name, I pray that you have. And if not, that you would right now. If you are seeing Jesus as beautiful and good and worthy of worship and worthy of your life in a way that you never have before, put your faith in him. Like Martha, who didn't have all the answers. And then she said, you're the Christ. I have life in your name. Do you believe this? Number three, Jesus is life for those who live. Jesus' life for those who live. Uh, Martha has a hope in the future resurrection, as we should have. But Jesus speaks to life now, not only in raising Lazarus, that was a more miraculous thing, uh, but again in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? You see, he's offering life to Martha now. Uh, It's not just Martha, one day Lazarus will rise again. In the meantime, good luck. Life's hard. I'll see you then. No, no. He offers life uh, now. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus offers life now. That's what John wants, right? By believing you may have life in his name. Earlier in John, it says, In Christ was life, and the life was the light of men. Uh, Jesus says that he came that we may have life and have it abundantly. Not just then, but now. And then in the garden as he prays for his disciples and as he prays for you 2,000 years ago, he says eternal life. Uh, He he says, give eternal life to all whom you have given me. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent Life, an abundant life, is knowing Christ, is knowing God, being reconciled to Him. That starts now. Eternal life starts now. That's why we celebrate on Easter Sunday. We have life with Him now. How do we have life with Him? It's because Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Did you catch that? In in John, Jesus makes... These seven I am statements. I am the bread of life, for instance. Here, I am 
the resurrection and the life, pointing to the fact that he is God, the great I am. But do you catch the significance here? It, 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 would be an, it, it would be enough if he said, I know where life is, or I have life, sort of like a substance, and I'm willing to give you some. But what does Jesus say? I am the life. I am the life. He, just as the Father has life in himself, so Christ has life in himself. He is the life, just as he is good. He is love. He is justice. He is the life. So that those who come to know him by faith are in Christ. They are connected to him, like a branch to a tree. Or perhaps... It, Maybe you or a family member have lived on a property that's far enough out from the city uh, that you have to figure out another way to have water. And maybe it's not good uh, soil or area for a well, and so you have to get your water trucked in sort of to your reservoir. And when the water comes in, it's great. You, you, it fills up. You have what you need. But in the back of your mind, you know that it's just sort of gradually depleting. And at some point, you're going to have to uh, call the truck again, and they're going to have to come bring water and perhaps one day imagine that that same property, uh, the city's been expanding and, and, and they offer to uh, uh, hook up uh, uh, the piping to the city water. And, and they do all the work, they lay the groundwork, they, they get the, the, uh, the piping uh, in place. And, and imagine that moment uh, when, uh, when it's opened up and the flow of water just comes in and it feels like a miracle. <laughs> this water just keeps coming, this crisp cool water. It won't deplete. That's what we have in Christ. He is life, like a river of living water. And then if we have faith in him, we are connected to him, not given a stipend. We are connected with him. We have life with him in the midst of grieving, in the midst of death, in the midst of life. As some have said, dying is easy. Living is harder, and he offers us life right in the midst of it, unending, overflowing. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? As we said, people look here and there to find where they can find comfort and hope in this life. Uh, One answer that is dear to us as Christians, uh, what is your only comfort in life and death? This is the answer given, that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you believe this? I pray that you do. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for your word, that these are the very words of eternal life given for us, a daily bread given for us. I pray, Lord, that everyone in this room would have faith in Jesus Christ, that they would find life and nourishment and hope and comfort and peace that can only be found in Christ Jesus, our risen Lord. I pray this all in his name. Amen.